Welcome to Time Out for Better Coaching, a podcast that goes beyond the X's and O's to explore the hows of coaching, how we relate to players, create stronger communities, and build healthy programs. Good morning, Rodney, and welcome to the Time Out for Better Coaching podcast. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Marty. Glad to be here. I want to start with you telling us a bit about your coaching background. I know it's varied and it's quite deep, and and I'm interested to learn more about the stops you've had along the way and the organizations you've been involved with. Wow. Well, it's been a pretty interesting journey for me to get into the coaching side of things. So uh, I'll try not to bore your audience with a bunch of details here. I uh, you know played high school football here in Virginia, Patrick Henry of Ashland. Always have loved the game, kind of grew up in the era where, you know, there'd be 20 of us out playing backyard ball, full contact, tackle, you know, it was just just what we did at the time. So had an opportunity to go off, play collegiately, but didn't work out for me. At that particular point in my life, I think I just wasn't mature enough to handle the responsibility of of being the student athlete, new experiences, and took a couple wrong turns, and Uncle Sam scooped me up. So... Uh, <laughs> During that time, uh, I was stationed at Fort Drum, New York. There's a, a handful of guys with very similar stories. We all went up, tried out for the, at the time, it was the Ottawa Rough Riders, um, which was a Canadian Football League team. Some of us stuck around longer than others. I kind of hung in there until the last couple of days, but not having a collegiate record or any kind of paperwork or film, so, you know, um, didn't work out for me. So back to the Army I went. I discovered a minor league team in, in that area called the Watertown Red and Black. Um, if you ever look it up, it's one of the oldest minor league slash semi-pro teams in the country. Played a little bit for them and got my taste back for playing ball. So I bounced around a little bit, did my thing in the Army, and wound up back in Virginia where I found a few other uh, minor league teams, got back into playing. was still young, so things were, things were going good. Ended up tearing a ACL, MCL, and meniscus in my left knee. Rehabbed that, came back, played some more. Uh, and I played for a team called the Prince William Monarchs uh, out of Woodbridge. They were at that time, in the late 90s, early 2000s, they were, they were one of the most elite teams in this area. They were known nationally. At one point, I think they played a season, they went 20-0. and 0. They were phenomenal. And so I played a year for them. I didn't get where I wanted to in terms of getting on the field with that team, just various reasons. Mm-hmm. So my, I met two guys, Dan Knapp and Eric Patton, and we started a team called the Virginia Mutiny out in Manassas. And that was in 99, was our first year of operation. At that time, I was still playing, and I had moved into the ownership aspect of the team. So I was sort of the general manager in our three-headed monster. Ran that team for a few years. Won a couple of championships. We were very, very successful out there. I moved away into the Fredericksburg area. That team, I think, ran from 99 to 2004. We closed the doors. Three of us went our separate ways, if you will, amicably. And we closed the doors for a minute. Um, we helped to, to start the what's known as the Manassas Mutiny, the youth football team that's still running today out there. Ultimately moved to the Fredericksburg area. They had a team here called the Fredericksburg Falcons. My plan days at that time were over. I was more into my kids. Working in D.C. proved difficult to kind of play ball. So I came on board as a defensive coordinator with the Fredericksburg Falcons after having learned the 46 defense under 
uh, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Lascola and another, uh, rest in peace, uh, Larry Schultz. So those two guys, I kind of, you know, played in their defense, learned their defense in and out. I was a captain for many years and kind of ran the defense. So then I got sort of developed a, a love for the 46. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a 49ers fan, but I love the Bears defense, 85, 86 Bears. Um, hard not to. It, it's hard not to. Uh, so I started reading books, anything I could find, anything I could scoop up, because I wanted not just to – to learn what they did, but I want to add my own flavor to what they did. So it's kind of my thing. Um, I'm sort of a, a creator in a way. So over the years, I've developed my own system, my own philosophy of defense. And so I became the head coach of that team the last few years of its existence. And along the way, my, my son, my youngest son, played for what's called the uh, Fredericksburg Area Youth Football League Bears. Yeah, probably the, win the winningest youth football team in our area multiple national championships in Florida, the whole nine yards. I was a commissioner of that league, so I got to see the other side of the coin as well. Not a part of the staff, but I traveled with the staff. You know, they picked my brain because they knew I was coaching elsewhere. I think deep down inside, it's always been my dream. Would love to see myself at some point collegiately, but, you know, time and chance happens to them all, so it's not something that's, uh, that's developed for me at this time. So long story short, I've been, I started what's called the Fredericksburg Bears minor league team, ran that for a few years, and then I brought the mutiny back after people started asking me to do so. So I've acted as the head coach there for a while, the defensive coordinator for a while, the special teams coordinator for a while, the offensive coordinator for a while. So I've done and worn every hat there is to wear. And that has been since 1999 being involved with football, but 2006 was my first foray into actually coaching. So I've kind of built a, a bit of a resume. We've won, won a lot of games, lost a lot of games. I think my reputation in the coaching community in the semi-pro world and locally is, is pretty solid. And then fortunately, I got to watch my, my two boys in high school play for Nathan Yates at Massaponics. And as you know, some things go full circle. Uh, when he came back from Pennsylvania, he reached out and asked if I would be interested in joining the staff, along with yourself and others. I jumped on the opportunity to do whatever I could to help him and, and to actually, you know, dip my feet in the actual high school pool. So going into our second season mid-COVID, uh, it's proven to be some, some hurdles. But uh, I, I absolutely love coaching. If you were to see my basement, you'd see... Uh, two huge whiteboards, binders of materials, Mike Singletary's book, Nick Saban's book. I've, I've read a lot of stuff. I, I do online seminars every chance I can get, coaching clinics every chance I can get. I subscribe, I read, I, I steal from other coaches, if you will. Uh, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm involved in a couple of online coaching groups um, where we exchange ideas and information and just general chat. So. That's kind of the long version of what got me where I am today in terms of coaching. Well, you've had such a varied past, and you're terribly modest about the skills and experience that you bring. Just so the listeners know, you and I have been together on the same staff at Riverbend High School now with Coach Yates going into our second year. You know, I was a newcomer to the world of coaching. I, I didn't have the depth of knowledge that you had about um, X's and O's. You know, I knew one little small piece of that world, and that's sort of what I bring 
one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about you is the way you kind of came alongside me uh, as a new coach and certainly, you know, help with the X's and O's. I've asked you plenty of stupid questions about, you know, <laughs> you know about a three technique. What in the world is a three technique? Um, and and you've you. always been very gracious with your knowledge there. But the thing I've appreciated most about you is how you've taught me to get beyond the X's and O's and think about the, the deeper hows of coaching. How do you reach out to athletes? How do you motivate players? How do you help players reach their potential? And I'm struck by the story you told about came out of high school. You didn't have the maturity to take on the role of the student athlete. And that's something that, you know, I've seen a lot of. My own son wasn't ready for that transition. And so he joined the military as well, doing great. But I see a lot of kids like that who get so vested in the sports side, they forget the academic side, they forget the emotional side, they forget the yeah. uh, maturity side. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the coaches don't help. So I'm wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about how you do those other things. Uh, what I like to call the hows of the game. Yeah. How do you reach out? Well, you know what, Marty, I, I got to say, I think I have a very eclectic history. And so I've covered a lot of ground in my life. Everyone's different. And I think, I think clearly you have to be able to take your life experiences and, and utilize them in an understanding, especially when, it's, when you're talking about young people. I'll say this. I, I didn't have the best of childhoods growing up. Mm -hmm. um, some, sometimes that tends to make people bitter. And I probably did spend a few years bitter and angry about some things. Mm -hmm. um, and that probably contributed to what happened when it was time for me to step out on my own. But I'll say, you know, the military thing, I think it's, I think you hear it a lot in that uh, folks who serve say it, it changed their life. And that's, that's not an exaggeration. When you, when you have an opportunity to meet people from inner city New York, inner city Chicago, Montana, Idaho, California, Texas, of all walks of life, some people who were the worst of the worst and some people who um, were afraid to step off their front porch, yet here we all are at you know, this base in Georgia, scared out of our minds with one common goal. And so you learn quickly to listen to people and to meet them where they are. And that's, that's sort of, I would say, the overriding philosophy of the question you asked me in terms of what I glean or what I bring to the table in terms of understanding. I know what it's like to use a military reference. They say that you, you can't lead from the back. I dare say that you can't lead if you've never been in the back. It's hard it's hard to know what it's like to empathize and to understand where a person is coming from if you've never been in the back of the line. If you've never been last, then winning means nothing. It takes an understanding of what every person in that line is going through. Every person in that formation is going through something. Every person on the field is going through something at home. When we're coaching them, we're only getting them for a few hours a day. We don't know their mom. We don't know their dad. We don't know their grandmother. We only know what they expose us to know. And so I would say I, I'll take this back to something I saw from you last year. We were, in terms of record, not a very good team, right? And we had a, a kicker that I would say 60% of the team didn't know his name. And you work with Carrick every single day, right? And, you know, there'd be days when he couldn't put one through the uprights from 20 yards. And then there'd be days when he couldn't miss. But when it came time to, okay, we're going to kick this field goal for the win to beat a team that we're not supposed to beat. Hey, Carrick, 
You know what I mean? And so you knew what that kid was made of because you'd work with him every single day. You knew what he was capable of doing. Now, whether or not he'd be able to, to produce in that moment, we never know until we're in the moment. Right. But when that ball went through the goalpost, you were six feet off the ground right beside me. We were running around like kids. <laughs> yeah, we were. Right? And I think that is, that's the thing that I try to bring to the table to reach these kids. I've, we're playing the kids' game. We're coaching the kids' game. We got to meet the kids where they are. We got to want to know who they are, not just on the field, but we got to want to know who they are in order to pull the best out of them when you need it. What motivates them? What causes a kid to pull back? Um, some kids need loud talking. Some don't. Some kids need an arm on the shoulder. Some don't. Some kids need you to look them in the eye and say, hey, look at me. Some don't. The recipe to, to every kid's a little bit different. And so with me, coming from the minor league world, uh, I, I coach all the kids who didn't quite get there for whatever reason. There's a mix of guys who played collegiately. There's a mix of guys. Some guys have played arena. Some guys have played professionally. I mean, we go from 18 to 54 on my team. And so you're talking about, well, the coach didn't like me or I had a baby or I got in trouble, or there's, there's every piece of that pie, and I'm dealing with them at between the ages of 18 and 54. When we go to Riverbend, we're dealing with 14, 15, 16-year-olds who will later become those guys, some of them, that I coach as grown men. What could a coach have done to steer them in the right direction? You know, there's kids that I see every day. I pass them, and I'm, I'm always Coach Rod. <laughs> hey, Coach Rod. Hey, Coach. <laughs> and I, I coached him when he was eight, you know, now he's 24 and I'm still coach. And when I see him, he gives me a certain respect. I give him a certain respect. And I realize, you know what, no matter what ends up happening in our lives, we, we both played a role in the success of each other. And I think that is what team sports and coaching is all about. It's about pulling the pieces out of a kid when you need it and letting a kid know that they have what it takes to succeed and they also have what it takes to fail. It's all in how they apply it. You know, I think the way you put that rod is, you know, we, we have a piece in each other's success, right? It's not a one way street. It's, it's such a great way of thinking about this and, and, and learning about this. In one way you could argue that you sort of came to coaching a little bit later. Not as late as I did, but you came later. What, what drew you to it? And what's the one characteristic you think a coach needs to reach a young athlete? What drew me to coaching? I think selfishly, Marty, I'll say old age. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to you on that one. <laughs> when it's time for me, when, when the time has come for me to take off the cleats, there's a passion I have for the game of football that wouldn't allow me to put it down. It's hard even for me now to watch a game as a fan because now, yeah, it is. Because now I'm looking at things differently. I'm looking at stances. I'm looking at how a guy gets off the ball. I'm looking at who's putting out effort. It's weird. I just love the game. You know, to love the game is, is to find a way to be near the game. And when you can't play the game anymore and, you know, I feel like I've amassed a lot of knowledge that could help someone. The only way to, to share that knowledge is, is to get into coaching. It's, that's, it's a natural progression. 
quite frankly. I think that's, that's what drew me. If you understand a person and what makes them tick and where they come from, what drives them, then you can use that. You can reach them. And I think empathy spills into X's and O's. Maybe I've got a kid who's huge but can't move very well. He's out of shape. If I just say, ah, he's a fat kid and he's out of shape and I can't use him and I throw him on the, on the trash heap, so to speak, am I doing him a service? No. Am I bringing anything to him or her that will better that athlete, that person? No. I'm showing them that you're not worth my time. And that's the exact opposite of what a coach is supposed to do. So you meet a kid where they are. What can I do extra to help get you in shape? Are you, are you willing to stay after and run some extra sprints with me? Are you willing to show up a few minutes early? I'll show up a few minutes early for you if you want to, if you show up a few minutes early. What can I do to help you? What can I do to make you better? And in that, I think that's the most important thing that a coach, which is actually simply a mentor, a counselor, can do for, for anyone. Show them that you care. Show them that you want the best for them. And let them know that in order to get the best out of themselves, that they got to put in some work. And if they're willing to put in the work, then you're willing to put in the work right beside them. And I think that's what it's all about. I have to talk about both my boys because they both played collegially. One played Division Two, and he conference champion in the CIAA. There's going to be people, coaches, um, recruiters that overlook you. And it doesn't matter. The thing that I've learned the most about coaching these high school kids is they are willing to do any and everything they can to accomplish that dream of playing at the next level. They just don't know how. And so in coaching at the high school level, I, I would say that there's a lot of parents that don't know how. And so there are a lot of kids in high school that are getting bad information, incomplete information, um, and it's not always on purpose. So the thing that I've learned is that you've got to work with these kids on a daily basis because they've got a gazillion distractions to keep them focused on what they say their dreams are. So if a kid says to me, I want to play Division One football, then you have to sell them back what they say to you. Well, if you want to play Division I football, what's that going to take? And you have to assist them in visualizing that. If you're 5'8", if you're 165 pounds, I think you have to be real with them and honest with them. It's not about playing Division I. It's about playing at the next level if you're able. So the thing that I, I think I've learned the most about most high school kids is they are sponges for information and you've got to be able to monitor what information is dumped into the sponge because some of them get a lot of bad information. And I remember one day my son came home from practice and I don't think I've ever seen him so low. And he made a comment that stuck with me all these years. He said, you know, I, I just, I want to quit. And I, I said, well, you know, if you want to quit, that's fine. Why do you want to quit? He said, Dad, it's gotten to the point that every day I go to practice, there's some coach there. And I know they're watching me because every time I start to, to work out, 
they pull out the stopwatches, they pull out the sheets, and they're marking everything. He said, I can't even have an off day. And the stress is just getting to be too much. Mm -hmm. You know, what can high school coaches do to help parents understand what it is like and help them understand how to better manage the process? And also, like you said, to help them understand not playing Division One ball is not failure. And, and two percent, even not playing at the next level is not failure. You know how how do we <clears throat> better help parents and athletes deal with that pressure? Cause it's real. It, very much so. So I'll, I'll share I'll share a couple of stories with you. I, I mentioned my oldest son. My oldest son was all conference in three different in three different conferences here in this area. Wow. So so he started off at Cortland where he was all conference. Um, we moved him to Fredericksburg Christian after his sophomore year where he was all conference. He had some struggles, which is why he ended up at Fredericksburg Christian, got himself together and uh, asked us if he could transfer back. We had moved if he could transfer back and finish up in Massaponics. Hard to say no when he did everything we asked him to. So, yes, we transferred him into Massaponics. He transferred in as a junior, all-conference. VHSL said, you are now a senior, some abstract rule they pulled. And my oldest son had to double up in his core his last year at Massaponics. He was supposed to be there for two years. He was there for one. Wow. He was um, about 5'11", one. 185, 190-ish, maybe. Mm-hmm. Didn't get a lot of looks. Um, he played beside Vinny Vahoda, uh, went to Tech. Steven Sopcich went to Tech. He was on that team. Um, All-conference, the Pat Tillman Award winner. Kid could play, but he only had one year. We had a, a couple of D2 offers. Thought he could do a little bit better. We went to Fork Union. They, we sent them the tape. They said, oh, my goodness, yes, bring him up here. Uh, we get up there. He goes through the combine, kills it. That Sunday night, they call and say, we, we think your son's too small. Sorry, he can't pass the eyeball test. Wow. I lost my cool on the phone. <laughs> uh, at that point, I was a dad. Yep. Um, and and if, you, if you knew my son, he had a, a he, this huge head of hair that he shaved for Fork Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, told him, they told him he was in. And then they told him he wasn't. They basically told him he was too small. Um, rather than take the walk on at Old Dominion at the time um, and stay in state, we took the scholar. Well, it wasn't a scholarship, but we took the money and he went to West Virginia Wesleyan. Okay. He didn't like it. He wasn't happy. He transferred out of West Virginia Wesleyan back into Old Dominion because they told him we wanted you out of high school and now come on, come on through. We have a slot for you. He gets to Old Dominion. Guess what? No slot for you. He didn't even get to play football. Yeah. So after enrolling at Old Dominion for a time, he talked to the coach down at uh, Virginia State, Coach Barlow, who had played in the played in the NFL for a couple of years with Jacksonville Jaguars. Brought him in, and he fell in love there. And he he spent he got to spend his last two years at Virginia State and won a conference championship. Graduated with a master's in economics. Wow. So that, that speaks to your point about football is not, not the end game. Yeah. My, my youngest um, is a two-time S- State of Virginia Defensive Player of the Year. 
uh, at Massaponics. He lost two regular season games in four years. Wow. Uh, we thought he was going to UVA. They told us they were going to offer. They never offered. Uh, NC, experience. <laughs> um, NC State said the same, never offered. Appalachian State waited for him for three hours while he was taking his SAT, promised him they'd offer. They didn't offer. Um, he had other offers to West Point, uh, Annapolis. Uh, he had a lot of offers. They all came in late. Uh-huh. Um, and he, so, you know, he was going into his senior year with a handful and then boom, they started pouring in. So for the kids out there who are, who aren't seeing a whole bunch of offers, just, just go play, just do your yeah. best. And so ultimately he went, he wound up at Villanova, small school, division one. Yes. But a phenomenal school nonetheless. So I say that to say, what can coach to answer your question? What can coaches do? Coaches can be honest. It's difficult sometimes when you're dealing with parents because every parent wants their kid to be that superstar, but sure. there's, only so, there's only so many of those. Be honest in your program. Be honest in your dealings with the parents. Be honest in your dealings with the administration. Be honest with your dealings with recruiters. Uh, I don't think that schools do enough in terms of recruiting. I think that every school should have a sort of a recruiting and compliance office that helps with those hurdles and pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at the end of the day, coaches control their practice. So coaches need to be proactive with these recruiters and let me know when you're coming. And this is how we conduct ourselves when you're at my practice. Because if they are invisible, so to speak, or handle themselves professionally, most kids never even know they're at practice. They're just there. Right. Um, most kids also know when they're being recruited. So it's about mitigating that pressure. So when you have your team meetings and you've got a kid that's, that's being heavily recruited, you just let them know, hey, listen, this is a part of the process. Enjoy it. They're here because there's something that you do well. Keep doing that well and don't worry about anything else. Let the chips fall where they may. Control what you can control to use some of the, the old NFL and professional athlete speak. And, you know, in terms of, of the pressure that your son's feeling, that's, that's very, very real. And, and some kids handle it better than others and some kids don't. But when you have an opportunity as a coach to sort of set the environment, I think you take it. Yeah. Um, and that reputation will precede you with recruiters because, you know, these schools all talk to each other. They all know each other. It's a small community out there. Yeah. Um, so you do your best. To, to, to let mom, mom know, hey, listen, this is what you can do to help your son. This is what we're going to do. You know, here's some camps. Here's some folks, some, some literature on potential nutrition. Um, if, you have, if the school has a nutritionist or a dietitian or some, someone who's, you know, qualified in that area to give advice, right. um, use every aspect of everything you can do. Don't just, you know, there's, there are some bad coaches out here who use this recruiting thing to line their pockets and build their reputations. Fortunately for us, we don't have that issue. You know, we have yeah. uh, a high level of integrity, and we're going to continue to be that. Um, but I think it's about setting the bar at a good level and being truthful with all, all folks that are interested inside and outside of your, you know, as we say, the job internal and external stakeholders. You just give them all the truth. Sometimes... Yeah. You give people what they want, and it's not necessarily what they need. 
And then when things don't go their way, there's a finger to be pointed. And I think you just have to set the, set the conditions, ABC, one, two, three, here's what could happen, here's what has happened, and here's where we are. And this is what our plan is. And I think you give yourself a, a much better launching pad if you do that. Yeah, those conversations are tough, uh, especially with a young kid. But, I mean, you're right. They're absolutely essential. And um, you know, there's, there's no easy way around having those discussions sometimes. But, um, you know, I think you're right. You know, keeping, keeping it real, keeping it honest, and not letting them lose focus on what really matters at the end of the day. You know, the most successful athletes are done by the age of 26, usually. There is life after age 26. <laughs> a whole lot of life. A whole lot of life. Uh, so, Rodney, um, you've been generous with your time. We're getting close to the end. I want to ask you one more question. Sure. One of the things that you shared with me was uh, you're a vocalist, and you like doing voiceovers, and you've also performed at the Apollo Theater, which raised a really interesting question for me, you know, sort of along these lines of, you know, as vested as we as coaches and as athletes get in this game, for the short time that we're blessed to be involved with it. You know, there is more outside. I'm curious about how the worlds of athletics and the world of art mesh in your life and, and, and in your coaching. Mm, wow. You got me with that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> great question. So, man, you know what? Um, art is a, is a big part of has always been a big part of my life. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast that, uh, you know, I didn't have the best of childhood, so to speak. Right. So what art allowed me to do was kind of withdraw from the reality of what was going on and create something different uh, on paper um, and also, you know, uh, vocally. So I think... I've used all of it as different pockets of refuge in my life. So if I'm having a bad day and this, if I was having a bad day at work or whatever the case might be, I could always know that I was coming home, going to grab my football equipment, head to practice. And by the time that, that two or three hour practice was over, I wouldn't think about any of it. I wouldn't think about any of it in the middle of it. I could grab my sketch pad, Go find a spot in the woods, sit down, and just draw. I could find a quiet room or somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and just sing. Football's kind of the same thing. So as a, as a linebacker, as my position, it was, it's, it's kind of a symphony, if you, if you will, in terms of how art translates. There are 11 instruments on either side of the ball. And... In every play, there are notes to be played. There's lines to be drawn, so to speak. Uh, and if you look at it the right way, the game itself is artwork. It's a, it's a very strange tapestry of, of different colors, personalities, athletic abilities, skill sets, motivations. It all plays out over the course of that 60-minute game. And every snap, there's something different to see. And I think with me... I kind of withdrew into that aspect of it. I put it all together and say every piece of whether it's coaching, whether it's playing, whether it's singing, whether it's drawing, whether it's writing, 
all of that kind of spills into the bucket and I hold a brush, right? So for those that are listening, I think that's the way to look at it. Um, you use every piece of everything you are and everything you do. And so football is no different. Coaching is no different. Like we talked about earlier, you got to strike the right note with the kid, right? You got to paint the right picture for the quarterback so that he knows where the ball's supposed to go. You've got to, you've got to sketch the right picture for the running back. So he knows on, on this play, I got to press the outside eyes inside, look for the cutback. That's all art. And so in a, you got me going all existential here, <laughs> but, 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 uh, I, I think that's probably the best answer I can give for, for that question. That's a fabulous question. That, that's, and that's a great answer, Rodney. Thank you so much. Uh, listen, Rodney, it's been a real pleasure uh, and it's been a real honor for me to have you as the initial guest on Time Out for Better Coaching podcast. I wish you all the best and I wish you and your family all the best as we continue to struggle through these unusual and uncertain times. Thanks so much for being here. No doubt, Marty. Thank you so much for asking, asking me to participate and I uh, wish you all the success in the world. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.